We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What is up, Jack? We're doing two hours on Joe Harris's three-point contest, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And then we'll do like five minutes on the rest of the All-Star Weekend. No, we're doing <laughs> a mailbag edition, guys. You sent us some great questions. We're going to break them down. But as always, you can check out the Buzz, iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OGGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. But Jack, hit me with some questions from our great fans. All right, mate. This is uh, this is going to get tough. We've got some loyal listeners and some very learned listeners, the most learned listeners of any fan base and of any podcast going around. So our boy Zach Murphy, who's been on the pod before, fellow Australian. Uh, if all major free agents in the 3-4 spot get taken away, Tobias, Kevin Durant, Kawhi, etc., and we flunk in free agency, are we still content with this team possibly treading water in low seeds, knowing that next year's free agent class is horrendous, and then eventually having to pay Levert and Jarrett could halt our possible improvements. What are your thoughts on this one, Nick? Yeah, you know, I'm 100% okay if we flunk on free agency. Like, I think it's still a chance. I think a lot of people try to lock in the idea, like, there's only, like, five great three or four, you know, uh, you know, small forwards and power forwards for us to really get. So if we miss out on them, you don't want to overpay. So I think you're better off just going to the next season with either possible cap space or guys on one-year deals. And then you look at the Nets roster. Still very young. A lot of guys can still get better. Multiple picks in this year's draft, a.k.a. more assets for next year to make a trade. And then 2020, you know, the free agent class isn't great, but there's a lot less teams with cap space. So the Nets can still be one of the big players out there. You know, Anthony Davis, obviously, the talk is about the Lakers, but the Nets could be that team if they have another really good season and on the Laver and Allen front I'm not really that concerned about paying those guys because I think at worst we'd probably agree that they'll both be fringe all-stars yeah I agree and and I think in terms of 
Sean Marks and how he sort of uh, his ethos in terms of building a, a roster and a championship roster, it's a, being able to have flexibility and different options up your sleeve. So I don't think he is going to throw like a, a big offer sheet at you know guys that probably don't deserve it. Um, Tobias Harris is one that sort of is is uh, one around the wings, but uh, the fact that he him right now in Philadelphia, he seems more likely to sign uh, there, and we seem more likely to probably sign a Jimmy Butler if anything. Um, and obviously, you know the 2020. Just looking through it, um, it's not great at all. Like guys like Marcus Gasol, Danilo Gallinari, Jabari Parker, um, uh, you know our boy Alan Crabb will be off the books then. So there's, a, there's some extra money there as well. Kent Bazemore. There's literally Draymond Green is probably the biggest name on this list. Um, if you wanted to research into it, it's not a great list at all. But in terms of, I think uh, as fans, we want more, more, and more. We want that constant improvement. There's going to be some bumps along the way. And I think that whether that's through injury or whether that's through, you know, not being able to sign some of these big guys in this offseason, I think we just need to be content with what we're doing. I think, obviously, the the debate about the, the, the four position right now seems to be, you know, the, the running topic on Netsford right now. But I think you just need to have that patience. And it's hard as a fan when you want so much and you're so invested in this team, as we are, Nick. But I think that however we build going forward, I mean, if we continue going with where we are, we are going to make improvements. They may not be 15, 20 win rapid improvements that we've seen this season, but they could be incremental improvements that we've seen from teams like Indiana. I think a team like that is something that you can model yourself after. And what the Clippers are doing right now with the amount of cap space that they have, um, I think that there's so many different options that I think patience needs to be preached from inside the organization and outside it. Yeah, and I think sometimes as fans, it's like you see the Nets, they just made pretty good jumps in the last three years since Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson took over. So it's like you want more, you want more, you want to take the jump. But you also, like you said, Jack, you brought up a great point. Sean Marks wants flexibility. You don't want to risk all this work you just put in in the last few years just to make a run and maybe being a three or four seed getting knocked out in the second round or just getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. The goal here is to build a true contender, a team that can win a championship. And who knows what happens around you in terms of those low seas. Where the Nets are at right now, they are going to be improving. Toronto, if they lose Kawhi Leonard, they've got the crux of a team around Kyle Larry and his you know, shoddy back right now. The Boston Celtics, if for some reason Kyrie Irving leaves, it's Gordon Haywood, Jason Tatum and the rest. And, and who knows what they could be like going forward. With the Milwaukee Bucks, I think they're the, they seem the most likely with you know uh, Giannis to be there long term. But they've also got to keep around guys like Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton. What did they do? And when it comes to the Sixers, I mean, they're all in right now. But Joel Embiid's injury history, Ben Simmons is obviously going to be a free agent going forward as well. Uh, and obviously Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler. There's quite a, quite a volatile situation in many sorts over there. So with the Nets and what they're doing right now, and then obviously they're going to have to pay Levert and Jared Allen, but I don't think that they're good. those are going to be astronomical numbers unless Levert has, you know, maybe a dealer like season and he gets paid a similar number. It's very hard to forecast that at this early stage. But I think teams around us as well, the Nets are in a pretty good spot with the, the consistency and the rise and, and the crux of their roster right now. Yeah, and I think you brought up, you know, Levert and, you know, Allen. And then some of the other younger guys, like, there's just a lot of room for improvement. We're looking at Jared Allen, Rodion's, both 20 years old. You know, D'Angelo yeah. Russell is going to turn 23 on Saturday. You know, you got Karis Levert, I believe, 24. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie's not old. I think there's a lot of, of room for improvement. And like I said, we have draft picks. You know, this draft isn't great, but the Nets have done a great job getting guys that have kind of been slept on. I wouldn't be surprised if they got a, a couple of – Euro stashes with maybe one of these picks, but still, I'm pretty confident in what Sean Marks can do in the draft as well. Absolutely. I think that there's so many different options to improve this team going forward. And I think that the with what you have uh, at the core of the organization right now, I think would be the MVP 
of a lot of other teams in the league. But our boy, fellow OTG writer, Nets writer, mind you, uh, Will Jackson has has popped in. Do you think the closer role will change game by game now that Karras and Spence will hopefully get back um, at some stage near in the future? And out of the big four teams in the East, who do the Nets match up against best? A nice little two-parter there from Will. Yeah, we'll start with the first part with the closer role. And I think, you know, Kenny has fluctuated all season with different players about who's hot, who's not. But I think as the playoffs get closer, you want to have a solidified lineup to close games with. So I think as that kind of progresses, we see everybody healthy, he will kind of uh, go with the closing lineup. But for the next few weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to change game by game. Yeah, I think you'd want to have by around April or so, you know, obviously going into the Portland game, I think it was only Dinwiddie and uh, was it Musa or someone else who's on the injury yeah, list? Yeah, Dinwiddie and Musa are the only ones out. So the, the fact we're getting healthy at the right time, Dinwiddie's probably two weeks away or something around that, that, around that mark, just to, off the top of my head. I think that that's going to bode well for us to still make some experimentations with the lineup. Uh, obviously, Levert has proven he's, he's a closer. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is the guy right now for this team. Jared Allen is. Does he? We've sort of spoke about off wax, Nick. Um, you know, Jared Allen has proven at times that he can w- wax and wane a little bit in his form in the closing. Trivion Graham has proven himself as a defensive stalwart. There's just so many guys that you can chuck in there. And obviously, Joe Harris. I think out of all of them, I think Joe Harris is probably the most likely and the the, the safest bet because D'Angelo Russell has been taken out in closing periods of the game early in the season. Who knows if that might if Kenny might uh, want to do that again? So I think there's a lot of things to be taken into consideration. And I think uh, you made a really good point. You want to have a sort of set rotation, what you know, obviously matchup dependent. Like, you know, um, we talked about, you know, if we come up against the Sixers and Joel Embiid's hot and, you know, he's feeling it and there's one final play, maybe you put Ed Davis out there instead of Jared Allen because of his physicality and his ability to defend a little bit better in the post. Or at this stage, probably a lot better in the post. So I think matchup dependent, um, obviously, is a bit of a cop-out. But I think we'll, we'll know more answers at this stage. If you were to go right now, Nick, to give it, give me an answer, what would it be? In terms of the entire lineup, Jack? Yeah, in terms of the closing lineup right now, uh, at full health, Spencer's back, Moose's back, everyone's there. Um, who are you you're closing five? Yeah, this is probably like the toughest question out right now. I think Jared Allen will close out the rest of the regular season in terms of if they're going with a big. I think Damari Carroll being that vet, I think D'Angelo's proven enough so far that he'll get those closing minutes, especially just really stepping up over the last few months. Like you mentioned, Joe Harris. And I think the last spot comes down to like Harris LeVert or Spencer Dinwiddie. And I think they'll probably go with LeVert. Obviously, he's Kenny's favorite. He already is getting clutch minutes coming back from injury against Cleveland. And I think he offers a little bit more versatility in terms of switchability, where if he gets switched onto a big, it's not quite as bad as Dinwiddie or D'Lo. And he also provides that secondary playmaker and the ability to really drive to the rim. But I would probably, the hardest decision I think would be Lavert or Dinwiddie, you know, at that two or three spot, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and I think Damari and Joe um, are, are the more likely guys to probably make way for, you know, one of those, whether it's Lavert or Dinwiddie, uh, depending on their form. Because if, if those guys are hot, Kenny has shown, you know, the propensity to to go to those guys in the clutch. And we've seen those three-guard lineups, you know, with Shabazz Napier as well. Um, and I think that that's going to be a key sort of thing, figuring out that chemistry, figuring out what the, the best lineups are. I'd probably go with the same thing as you, Nick. But going on to the second part of the question, um, who do you think the Nets match up best against out of those four? So Toronto, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Boston. 
I would definitely say Boston. And I think that's just because the Nets have the best ability to probably defend Boston, where they're more so perimeter oriented. Where you're looking at a team like Philadelphia, they really don't have an answer for Joel Embiid. Even Ben Sims is, you know, a problem for them. You look at the Bucks, onto the Kumpo, nobody's really guarding him on the Nets. And then uh, you go over to um, Toronto. Sure. You know, I think that I would probably rank it Boston as the best matchup, Toronto as a second. Uh, Philadelphia as a third, and eh, maybe Philadelphia as a fourth, and Milwaukee as a third. But I just like I don't like uh, Philadelphia or Milwaukee. Toronto obviously just super deep, and we saw you know Kawhi. I don't think they really have an answer for that. But for some reason, I just feel like they match up well against Boston. I don't know; it's necessarily objective. It's just more so of a feel. Yes, it's objective. That's completely fine. You do realize that we have beaten Philly twice this season, and we've only lost to them once, yeah? <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I think the addition of Tobias Harris, though, makes him 100 times harder for us because he's just like that stretch four where the Nets got away with probably double-teaming Joel Embiid a little bit more earlier in the year, and now having that filled-out roster, I think it's just going to be a tough matchup, especially because, you know, obviously you hinted at it before, the four issue for the Nets. I think I would rank Philly th The only difference I would have with you is probably Philly third. Um, maybe even second because just uh, we just and it's and again for me it's a more subjective subjective feel we've played well against them and we've just stepped up and sort of you know lifted our game against them yes Jimmy Butler hit that you know the clutch game winner against us you know we beat them 122 97 back in November we beat them 127 20 uh, 124 in December and you know it, it was a, a three-point shot an absolute dagger from Jimmy Butler that it took to beat us um who's to say that you know the chemistry between them doesn't get figured out and Jimmy Butler you know causes friction within the locker room and you know their depth is one thing that's certainly that that's worrisome, and, and I think that we can certainly take advantage of. That's why I think Milwaukee is the worst matchup for me because they, as much as they have that ridiculous high end talent with Giannis, and then you know two A and two B guys in Bledsoe uh, and Middleton, they've just got so much depth and so much length against us that I just think it's really really troublesome. And we've proven again uh, against Toronto, you know. D'Angelo Russell um, mentioned before that, you know, he thought that was that win was a, a key turning point in the season. So I think that when you have that confidence and just speaking subjectively, I think that that bodes well at the same time. So, uh, and Boston, I, I've subjectively, I feel this really bad going against Boston just because I think that Kyrie Irving, whenever he's going to play, I think that um, he's going to tear us up. Um, and I, when we, We've versed them without Kyrie. It just works, you know, uh, so much better on the other side because I don't think we have a very good defender for a guy like Kyrie Irving. You know, D'Angelo Russell, Spencer Dinwiddie, Carlos Avert probably could, but then it leaves guys like, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford down low is just an absolute savant. So I'm not as high on Boston. Um, I'll probably have, I'll actually probably have one as Milwaukee as our worst, two A and two B as and um, in Milwaukee. I almost want in terms of Boston would probably be the second worst, second best. Um, Toronto would probably be the, the the tied for third with um with Philadelphia and the worst, yeah, like I mentioned, Milwaukee. Yeah, thinking about it, honestly, you got me to change my mind a little bit. I still I think I have Boston at first, and I don't know. Like I said, it's just more of a feel type of thing. Uh, and then I'd have probably Philadelphia and Toronto tied. I think one thing that I didn't think about Philadelphia before you asked me the question was how they defend our guards, and I don't think they've done a great job defending our guards. You know, D'Angelo Russell's had big games against them. Spencer Dinwiddie's had good games against them. And obviously, you know, having T.J. McConnell and J.J. Redick, you know, not great defenders. You know, T.J. puts a lot of good effort in, but he's not going to, you know, shut down anybody. And the same thing at Toronto. I think they did pretty well against them because Kawhi's not really going to defend D'Lo. Um, and then obviously, like, I agree. Milwaukee's just the worst. I just, like, 
I don't think anyone's going to really want to play Antetokounmpo this year in the playoffs. Yeah, at the same time, he is going to have to prove it. So I think against the upper echelon teams... He did, uh, he did have a pretty second. big postseason last year, though. And that was like with... Yeah, Milwaukee. but Middleton... Milwaukee, but Middleton like, was not better. Having, yeah, he was, but also probably more so because of the attention that Antetokounmpo was getting. Like, they also had no coach last year, and they had, like, terrible spacing. Yeah, I think that... Yes, but, you know, three-point shooting, obviously, we saw with Houston uh, last season, can get taken away. And, and if you, you, you're you solely relying on that, and I think it's rich coming from uh, guys who uh, are Nets fans. Uh, but I think that, you know, with Giannis, it, it's going to be a big pre- big postseason for him. But on to uh, our boy, Dwayne Chandler. He's given us plenty of love over the years. He's got a couple of really good ones, Nick. And, and his first one, I thought that this could be a 35-38 to 38 win team at the year's at the year's start, they're more special than I initially hoped. I still think we'll probably be around that range, maybe a couple wins more. Do you think they can hit the upper echelons of the league through developing this core alone, thinking of a team like the the, the Detroit Pistons the, uh, of old, or by selling trading some of it off to get a star? Uh, even that Pistons team made a move for Rasheed Wallace, I believe. So that's still like a pretty big time player to add to your team. So I think, you know, they can develop and this core can get good. And you kind of brought up before what happens to the teams around you? Do they get worse? Do the Nets kind of step up? I think the Nets can become maybe a top four seed, but would they become a contending team with this roster? Probably not just because there's no superstar player. I think a trade would be necessary at some point to really push you to become a true contender. You know, I think a top four seed's possible, but true contention is a different thing. You need, and just to be blunt, you need an MVP contender to be a championship level team. You need LeBron James, you need a Paul George, you need one of these guys, you need Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, or else you are going to be, you know, maybe like an Indiana where you're four to six or you're a Charlotte where you're, you know, still competing. Uh, I think that the Nets have right now, D'Angelo Russell at his peak is a number two at best. Uh, and I still think that he's a 2A, 3-ish. And I think Karras is similar. So you'd still need a number one guy. I don't think that either of those guys are number one on a championship team. Um, and, and I could be wrong. You know, I could easily be proven wrong in a, in a couple of seasons. These guys are still developing and turning into really, really great uh, players and exceeding my expectations that I've even had on them. And I've always been high on them. Um, and I think you've got the crux of a really good team. You know, Jared Allen is the perfect center that you want to grow with that. And the fact that he's 20 years old and you've got youth on that side, I think that the pe- we don't want to put necessarily ceilings on these guys. But, you know, the question asks that of us. So I think that because D'Angelo Russell isn't going to be the best point guard in the league, he's not going to be Steph Curry. He's not going to be Kyrie Irving. I don't think he's going to be Damian Lillard. I think he's going to be just under that in terms of his ceiling, unless he can, you know, become, you know, a real physical force and, you know, continue to draw some fouls like he has been the past few games. Karis LeVert, I think, has some really uh, intangible success on both sides of the floor. Like, can he be Drew Holiday, which I've sort of compared him to in the past, which is again is a two A, two B, three sort of guy in a championship team. Um, so that's why I don't think that right now, unless we get a Kevin Durant, uh, a Kawhi Leonard, I think if we were to get one of those guys and just one of them, I think that we could legitimately be a top four seed, top three seed, because I think that these guys would complement those sort of players pretty well. Yeah. I agree with everything you said, Jack. I think Levert and D'Lo both are more of a 2-3 option. Same thing with Jared Allen. He's a little bit lower on the line, but he has that, you know, that fit in that role. They just need that one true superstar to really win. Like, I think, like you said, they could be like Indiana. They could get one of those top seeds, but they aren't necessarily going to really contend. But you need one of these guys that can really close out games and take you to a whole different level. 
Yeah, and who knows? Uh, wild things could happen. You know, the the lottery odds are flattened out. We could get Zion. I mean, I'm I'm all, I'm all in on Zion. I'm a Zionist. I'm a Zionologist, as as Nick Busing and I have said plenty of times. But we'll move on to Dwayne's other question, which has gotten plenty of love, but uh, mind you, people talk about Dinwiddie, Demario Carroll, and Joey Buckets like stocks to be traded high. But what if they are a core of a potential champion? Given their developmental trajectory, more than one way to build a champion, right? What if we already have the budding stars this team covets? Am I insert peanuts nuts emoji? <laughs> I love the emojis. Yeah, you got to use the shout out the emojis. I think it depends on what we're, you know, determining a core. Do I think Dinwiddie, Damari Carolyn, and Joe Harris have roles on championship teams? Yes. Do I think they're, what are your core guys? I think that's where it kind of gets, you know, all over the place. Like some people view core guys as, you know, your three best players, or is that like, you know, your eight man rotation that you're playing? So I think in terms of what they are, I think role players, you know, they're guys that are coming off the bench for your team. I don't think any of them are, you know, becoming a star. So I think this kind of gets back to the other question. They still need that true superstar to push them to the level. I think guys like D'Lo, Levert, Dinwiddie, and Allen are all possible fringe all-stars, but the other guys, I don't think they'll ever get that high. Yeah, I think those three, you mentioned eight-man rotation, are perfect. You have a, a, a really good, say you have Philadelphia starting five right now, and you put Dinwiddie, Damari Carroll, and Joey, Joe Harris, that for me would make them the favorite out East without a doubt. Um, and they're on, you know, Dimity's on a nice contract, Joe Harrison on a nice contract, Damari Cowles is expiring. Um, so I think in terms of eight-man rotation, you know, if, you, if you're comparing to, say, Golden State Warriors, Dinwiddie is an upgraded version of a guy like, you know, Sean Livingston. Tamari Carroll is like an upgraded version of in the past of, say, like Harrison Barnes. And, you know, Joe Harris is just, you know, your JJ Reddick, sort of Kyle Korver type uh, in Cleveland. So um, in terms of, yes, there are different ways to build a champion. And I think that that flexibility is going to be able to, you know, if you draft a star, who knows what could happen? You could just luck out and get a guy like Giannis in, in, in 15 to 20 and he turns into a superstar you just can't predict these things and, and that's the wonderful nature of this wonderful wonderful league and uh, i think that it's going to take a lot of luck and it always does take a lot of luck so hopefully luck is on our side uh, in the next you know three to five years as we are sort of really trying to contend for that championship spot yeah hopefully luck is on our side that first week of july <laughs> yeah big time big time but uh nothing else right, me on uh, that one jack what do you got all right, cool. My bad, my bad. Uh, Bruce Jones, absolute uh, awesome fan. Giving me plenty of love. Uh, much love to Bruce Jones on Twitter. Uh, outside the box targets trades this summer. How can Sean Marks get creative to make this team win 50 in 2019-2050? Oh, it's a big one. Uh, you know, this is tough. I think it also depends on who they retain. You know, which players, obviously, I think you're assuming D'Angelo's back and most of the core pieces are back and most of your eight-man rotation is back. I think you're looking at guys maybe like um, Nicole Miritich, who I don't know if that's off, you know, outside the box, but that's a name I think you look at. Uh, Marcus Morris, then maybe has some bench pieces, a guy like uh, Aminu or Riza. But I don't, it's, it's tough to really upgrade this team without getting a star because I think they have a lot of good players. They really just need that, uh, that really good player. Yeah, I think that what will take us to 50, 55 wins is going to be a star. And in terms of, you know, adding extra talent, you know, if you're going to lose guys like Damari Carroll to, to other teams, you know, you some of the guys you mentioned there, Nick, even a guy like Anthony Tolliver, you know, he could easily fill it in, in a really nice leadership role. Uh, Marcus Morris as well, an unrestricted free agent. He'll probably get some more money elsewhere, but he'd be a perfect guy uh, as that sort of four position for us. Uh, Chris Epps-Porzingis, uh, I think we've spoken about that before, but if he takes a qualifying offer, whatever he does, um, I think that he would be 
the perfect sort of star if if he can show full health. And I think that um, with Sean Marks has clearly shown interest in him before. Um, but in uh, but in other sort of guys, you know, an unrestricted free agent in Danny Green could certainly add value in terms of his reaching and defense. I think he would be a perfect sort of addition. Um, Garrett Temple, I think, would be a nice sort of addition as well. I don't think you have to break the bank for much of these guys. I don't hate Contavious Caldwell-Pope either if he's willing to take the right money. Only 26 years old, which really, really surprised me uh, in that sort of sense. So there's guys out there. And I'll, I'll put two to you, Nick. Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton. If you could have either of those two on this Nets roster, who would you rather have? You know, I think based off the roster, what we already have in place in terms of like our guards and people that can play maybe the two or the three, I think Tobias Harris is a little bit more interesting just because of the fit and the lack of force that we have on this team and just what it would do to this offense. It's not like you can really play Middleton at the four. So I think Tobias Harris, I would probably pick over Middleton. Where Middleton might be a better two-way player, I think Tobias's fit is just better. Yeah, I, I I probably agree with that. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a Chris Middleton stand sometimes. I just really love his consistency. The fact that he has a, a slightly higher defensive upside, um, but both of them are, are great players and are probably going to get you know plenty of money in free agency uh, either way. But, you know... Um, I'm going to throw out some really weird off the off the rack numbers and names at you that could just develop into nice pieces in a Brooklyn Nets system. You know, Marquise Chris for nothing if he if he gets like you know absolutely nothing and crickets in free agency, throw a minimum deal at him, similar to like a Shabazz Napier, Stanley Johnson similarly as well, just to see what he has and see what the development system, see what their magic can do there. Um, just some off-the-rack names that I thought I'd chuck out there. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting them for dirt cheap and they're at the end of your roster and you're just kind of working with them and, you know, injuries happen like we saw this year and then all of a sudden they get a chance to play, you know, they'll they'll appreciate you. You know, a lot of things we heard from Nets players this at All-Star Weekend was, you know, the Nets took a chance on me when I wasn't great and they kind of turned me into this player. You know, that's a big thing that Joe Harris said. So I'm not opposed to, you know, bringing some of these guys and take a flyer on them. It's not like they're investing big money for them. Jack, are any trade ideas in your head, you know, for maybe teams that are going to drop off this year or trying to get off money? Any guys pop up? Nah, off the top of my head, Nick, I can think of maybe a team wanting to trade um, Chris Tapps. Like, if Chris Tapps doesn't work out in Dallas, um, there's a part of me that's like, if he doesn't get healthy, you know, Sean Marks could get him in on the cheap. We know um, the training staff there is absolutely marvelous. And funny enough, funny story, having a barbecue with some friends over the weekend, um, a friend of a friend I know actually works for the training staff team at Brooklyn. And I was asking for all of the questions. She also <laughs> knows, um, you know, a, a former Cleveland Cleveland Cavaliers trainer back in the day where um, LeBron James was over. So I was pestering her plenty. But um, And it shows that, and, and for me, that sort of emphasized, you know, just the, the worldly atmosphere and the worldly culture we're developing there. But in, in terms of trades, Nick, I haven't, I haven't thought um, overly about it in terms of looking at the different assets. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, Jimmy Butler, whatever he wants to do, obviously he's going to get some money. But it, it's hard to sort of think off the top of my head. Yeah, and I think that's going to be interesting because the Nets, in my eyes, are going to be gathering more trade assets because of the draft they have this year. If they land some good picks, which, like I said, I have pretty good confidence Sean Marks finding some quality there. Maybe it's not going to be studs, but it's going to be players that can contribute to winning. So something to keep in mind. And I think it's harder to think of trade, you know, trades right now until you have a better idea what the team looks like going to, you know, the next year. So I think over the summer we'll have a better idea. And it's not like I just. 
I, you know, there's names that pop up, but I could never envision Sean Marks taking on a contract like Kevin Love or Blake Griffin just because age-wise doesn't make sense, flexibility-wise doesn't make sense, and they're really the only, you know, tradable power forwards you see out there that would really make a huge difference. Yeah, and then with Kevin Love's, you know, stocking at all-time low, you'd want some picks in return for him right now, but who knows yeah, if he could much. rebuild that value. Blake has been awesome. Uh, I, I, just to just to think of the Nets right now with Blake Griffin would be just it, just absolutely intriguing and fascinating in so many different ways. He's just such a ridiculously talented player, past a sh- become a very capable shooter, and he's still one of the best. And he's an All Star and one of the best power forwards in the game. But Nick, moving on, uh, Jesse Hoff. Am I crazy for wanting Brooke Lopez back? Also, is it just me, or do we get a little over-eager on Cruitt's fever? Last month has been brutal, and the best you can say for him is he's trying to do too much. Um, Answer the first question, am I crazy for wanting Brooke Lopez back? God freaking no. <laughs> yeah, I think every Nets fan just loves Brooke. He was just awesome, especially when the franchise was so bad. Always a positive attitude. Mentioned in trade rumors, which felt like his entire Nets career Never complain once. I think, like, who doesn't want Brooke back? Obviously, he's having a great season. But uh, I don't think it's going to happen. But obviously, we all love Brooke. I think he, he's a free agent in 2019 or 2020 as well. Yeah, he's so a free agent. Who knows? This year. He's expiring. So who knows with that? If we lose Ed Davis, Brooke, and Jared Allen, that would be pretty bloody awesome. But um, on the second question, Nick, ready to Rodion's, obviously he's been uh, a key hot topic in relation to, to Nets Twitter. What are your thoughts on, on his his form of light. I think we kind of talked about it. It's more so the rookie wall, the fatigue. He hasn't played a ton of basketball the last few years. So just being in shape, taking the beating from NBA players who are probably a little bit fit, more physically imposing than international basketball. And then also I think it's some of uh, opposing teams learning his game, getting a better idea of the scouting report, and him just trying to get a feel for the NBA. So I'm not really that worried about Rodion's. It's kind of just a rookie thing in my eyes. Have you, from your thoughts, do you think that we have jumped the gun on him too much? Has the hype, you know, hype train, you know, been chugging along too much? Um, I personally don't think it has because he's a number 40 bloody pick and yeah. he's playing he's playing like a near starter level basketball, obviously, you know, fringe level starter basketball. But um, for, to get that of, of a number 40 pick is pretty insane. Yeah, I think uh, it's a rookie season. So I always have like a different perspective. Like I don't expect consistency from rookies. It just doesn't really happen unless they're, you know, amazing players, like maybe like someone like Luca, but he's had his ups and downs and I'm sure he's going to have more as the season progresses. So I think we've seen enough flashes for Rodion's to be very happy and excited for the future. And like we talked about before, 20 years old, like can't get upset about a 20 year old, especially with some of the games he's had this year. Yeah, and I think as well, throughout January, where people were, you know, he's, he was shooting sub 30% from the field, you know, his offensive rating, you know, dropped, but his defensive rating was actually at its best that it's been all year throughout January in those 15 games. And he was playing as a starter. So, and we sort of, you know, we talked about the fact, you know, different articles coming out about him as well, the ringer curse, whatever you want to say about that. So, yes, his, his offense has dropped off, but he's still got his, you know, steel dunk plays, um, I still have confidence in his three-point shot. And I was mentioning to Nick off wax, you know, Corey finally knows the meaning of that word now. Um, <laughs> the fact that-, <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> the fact, for those that don't know, check out the NBA outlet, subscribe to it on iTunes. It's a live video of Corey, you know, being dumbfounded about what off wax means. And for those that don't know, it means when you're talking, you know, you know, off the record. Um, but in terms of that, just talking about the fact that I think that the Rising Stars Challenge should give him a little bit of confidence as well. And I think confidence is everything in in sport and in life in general. And I think that 
you know, he was nailing the threes, open shots, and that was switch bombing. Um, and I think that he might have lost his way somewhat in terms of his confidence. And you're, you're always going to have those lapses in confidence. We saw that with Karis LeVert, you know, last season. So I think that going off this Rising Stars challenge and showing some good form there, it could bode well for him going forward. I'm not going to say that it's going to be the turning point and, you know, the thing that's going to change his career trajectory. But I think it should give you, you know, a nice little uh, boost uh, heading into February and March. Yeah, 100%. I think not only just the confidence seeing your shot go down in the Rising Stars game, but being selected to be in that game. You know, like you mentioned, being a 40th overall pick, second-round pick, like he's in this game with some really, really good players. And it's not like it's all rookies. It's rookies and sophomores. Yep, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, he Kevin Knox was there because of Lonzo. And funnily enough, he, he was an injury replacement. So um, Rodion's has been, you know, superb this season. I think, yes, we might overhype him too much. And I think once Jared Dudley gets back, we will see. I think a lot of players are probably going to, a lot of fans, sorry, uh, are probably going to get really down on a guy like Jared Dudley and be like, why is the Rodion's out there? Why is Dudley still out there? Um, so that's going to be fascinating to see that play out uh, for sure. But Moving on, there's still a couple more. Just started to cut you off, Jack. I think it could actually benefit Rodion's where he's coming out in like shorter burst, so he's not as fatigued and he can get back to that high energy level. Yeah, and, and we've spoken about that at length before on, on live shows and, and on plenty of the pods, and, and I agree with it. But uh, Jabari Jelks asks, Nick, what's the best crunch time lineup at full strength? Do we want to just repeat that um, for our boy? Because he did was one of the first commenters on, on our tweet. Yeah, uh, what I got, Jack, is I'll give you... Four different lineups, you know, one of the ones I've already said, but you can tell me which ones and you can rank them. And these are all like closing yep. lineup ideas. So first one, D'Angelo, Dinwiddie, Lavert, Carroll, and Allen. Second one, D'Angelo, Joe Harris, Lavert, Carroll, and Allen. Third one, Dinwiddie, Harris, Lavert, Carroll, and Allen. And then fourth one, D'Lo, Dinwiddie, Harris, Lavert, and Allen. Okay, um, they've all sort of amalgamated together there. So can you repeat the first one for me? Yeah, yeah, point. yeah. So, uh, okay, Carol, uh, Allen is in all of them, so that just makes it easy. Jared Allen, I had in all four. Carol was yep. in th- three of the four, and um, D'Lo was in three of the four. So I'll just repeat them all again for you, though. D'Lo, Dinwiddie, Lavert, Carol, and Allen as the first one. Second one, D'Angelo, Harris, Lavert, Carol, and Allen. Third one, Dinwiddie, Harris, Lavert, Carol, and Allen. Fourth one, D'Angelo, Dinwiddie, Harris, Lavert, and Allen. I think the one without Dinwiddie and with Carol in for me. Um, and I think that you could sub in Lavert for Dinwiddie on certain occasions, depending on you know the right matchup. But right now, I would probably have Lavert just above Dinwiddie, just because of selective and short-term memory. Um, despite, and I think that they might fit a little bit better. And I value Lavert and Damari Carroll's defensive upside in crunch time, because I think Spencer can be a little bit of a sieve and, and has some lackadaisical efforts at time. Not to say that he hasn't. He, I think he had some really good defensive plays uh, against Blake Griffin early in the season as well. So obviously there are points and, and this is just saying overall. So for me, I would agree with the fact that Damari probably has to be out there um, unless, you know, Karis Levert can sort of sub him out with his just tremendous form on both ends of the floor. I think Damari has proven, and, you know, we saw that game against Cleveland. If he wasn't out there, you know, we certainly don't get that W. Um, so I think his savviness, and I think we need that leadership from him. So I think that, and even, um, you know, I, I think that that's probably, for me, uh, the most likely addition and, and, and the lineup that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I think, Carol, you need the veteran presence. When you look at all the other guys, you know, 25 and younger, or what, Joe Harris, what is he, 26, Jack? 
Jarvis is 26, yep. Yeah, so, what, you know, but he's not really a vet. Obviously, didn't get a ton of playing time his first few seasons. So, I think having Carroll out there is very important. And, obviously, Jared Allen can clean up the mess. And I think having Lavert, Carroll, and Allen just gives you more of a defensive presence. You know, if Lavert gets back to the form we saw earlier in the year. And then the reason I think you want to go with Joe Harris, too, is just because the floor spacing. It just opens up the floor so much. And Joe Harris has been low-key. Super clutch this year. I was looking up his uh, clutch stats, and he was shooting like 70% true shooting percentage under two minutes within five. Oh, yeah. please, ladies and gentlemen. So I was like, um, yeah, Joe Harris has to be out there. Well, of course. I mean, I wouldn't continue the rest of this podcast um, if you didn't have Joe Harris out there. But I think you <laughs> could sub him out in, in, in certain purposes. Like if you just want to have a heap of ball – uh, handlers out there or for some reason Spencer's hitting all of his three-pointers or something like that because um, Joe Harris isn't necessarily the greatest defender in the world I think he is better than Spencer Dinwiddie just because he has size and is tries a little bit more and has a bit more strength to him um, obviously probably only a couple of inches and, and and maybe 10 pounds or something like that but I just value him slightly above Spencer Dinwiddie but um, his spacing is just so important and we could see times like we've seen you know at different points of the season Alan Crabb out there uh, at different stages as well if we need a three-pointer. So it'll certainly be mix and match. But, you know, like we said earlier in the pod, we want that consistency going forward. But on to Stone Zone. Which of the in the Nets vets will not be on the roster next season? So that's Damari, Napier, Dudley, or Davis. All on contracts that are expiring. Napier's is a non-guaranteed deal for around $2 million, $1.8 million next season. No, this is literally impossible to predict. Because it depend, this is all dependent on what the Nets do in free agency. You know, like none of these guys are going to be the first guys that really sign. You know, they're not going to be the guys that sign within the first twenty hours, 24 hours. I know we signed Ed Davis pretty quick, but most likely it'll be based off of what the Nets do with the other moves. So I'll just look at each guy. You know, Shabazz, I think he's pretty much too cheap to cut unless you need that $1.8 or $2 million to sign a big free agent or to make something work. I don't think you cut him because he's proven enough to be a guy in your team that can be your third backup point guard that can fill in when needed. And in Tamari's case, you know, he's expiring. He seems like he's really invested in Brooklyn. There's a good chance I could see him coming back unless somebody wants to give him a bigger offer. You know, Dudley, on the other hand, I don't think teams are going to be going after him like crazy. I could see him back on a veteran minimum. Davis is probably the guy I feel the least confident about being back because I think someone will offer him a bigger deal because he proved so much this year. And he's just been a dominant rebounder in the NBA for the last couple of years. I think Davis is the most likely to leave um, yeah. and not leave off, maybe not leave off his own accord, but leave because you know the Nets can't afford him. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see, you know, what his market is, but the fact that he thought the qualifying offer, you know, and people have been calling it, you know, one of the best free agent moves in Nets history, um, you know, obviously uh, it's, we're not going to get him on the cheap again, you know, despite the fact that that would be ideal. There are going to be teams that want him. And, you know, despite the fact there is going to be a decent amount of money, they are going to be going after that free, those free, big free agents, but they're going to be teams that want him. Absolutely no doubt. And Damari Carroll, well, it's just going to be fascinating to me, the number that, you know, obviously for me, uh, Jared Dudley, vet minimum, I think is most likely, like you sort of mentioned. There could be other guys that want him more, but Jared Dudley and James Russell have developed a really nice rapport, and he seems to love the organization. Um, New York. But he, and New York as well, so we'll certainly see that. And he's developed, you know, uh, quite a cult following of sorts as well. But <laughs> with Damari, I, I think the, the number one thing for him is 
you know, what he would resign for, what another team would offer him because he could add a, a, a big value. Like, is it going to be like, you know, maybe a, a team offers him, you know, a two-year, $20 million deal or something that's just like a little bit too rich? Um, or is he wanting, you know, some uh, uh, his final sort of contract, you know, the long-term four years, $30 million or something around that sort of mark? Uh, it'll be interesting to see what teams are willing to offer and if, you know, uh, if, if, if it gets down to it, what the Nets would be willing to offer him. Um, I think there's a lot of goodwill with all these players and the front office and the coaching staff. But at the end of the day, these guys deserve to be paid in some sort of a sense, especially a guy like Damari and especially a guy like Ed Davis. Yeah, and I think if the Nets were to land a superstar like Durant or Kawhi, the only guy being back would be Dudley because they wouldn't be able to afford Damari or Davis most likely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think... And like I said, which is bad, it's like they would only cut him, I think, if they needed to. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think we've spoken about who we think is most likely, Nick, but who would you want, ranking these guys one to four, who would you want most on the team next season? Mm, this is a really tough one. I think I would go with Ed Davis first. He's just been an amazing backup center. And it's just like something you don't have to worry about. And then the rebounding presence has really dramatically like changed for the Nets. Obviously, they picked it up as a team rebounding team. But their rebounding jump this year, you know, some games it still sucks. But other games, they've really stepped up and won the battle on the boards. Tamari would definitely be number two. I think I would have Shab- Mm, this I'd have Shabazz and Dudley like tied for three. Like I'm not super crazy about either guy. I think they both bring their own little spark. Shabazz has like a specific role he can feel fill really well, and obviously Dudley's more about the off the court stuff. Yep, um, and it depends on what you value more. For mine, I would have Damari number one just because I think he he adds more value to winning basketball. And he is at a position which is uh, far more coveted. And despite the fact that he is in his veteran years and you know his twilight years, I still think he has one or two decent, good years in him. Um, Ed Davis, I think you can find those backup centers. Despite the, uh, I don't think you can find the Ed Davis's, you know, the, there aren't that, that many of them, but you can find, you know, you can bridge the gap between a backup center. You can play Jared Allen an extra five minutes and get, you know, Enos Cantor, Alex Slim, whatever these sort of guys as your backups uh, on the cheap. I don't think the backup center is as valuable today as a wing like Damari Kelsey. That's why I would have Damari number one, Ed Davis number two. Shabazz is just a better player than than Jared Dudley. That's why I have him number three, just more talented, younger, um, you know, can score more, has just a, a much more varied skill set. But I do understand why you would value that veteran leadership in this locker room right now. Um, and I think, you know, you could easily have them as tied number three, but I would have him number three and Dudley number four. Not just necessarily, that there's not a huge gap for me to, between three and four. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think Shabazz definitely brings more on the court. I think Dudley, the thing I just value with him is the relationship with D'Lo and just overall that steadying presence for a lot of these young guys. And I can see the case for Damari. I think I'm a little bit more fearsome in terms of uh, Damari's age. Like, I think as he's progressing, like, he's now more so of a bench player than close to being a starter where it's just like, you're right, you can find the backup center, but I just, like, love what Ed Davis does as a rebounder. Like, he just really just goes out there and wins on the boards consistently. And as a team def- a team defender, I think he's pretty solid as well. Yeah, I think if you could get, like, an, uh, uh, comparing to Enos Cantor, if you could get Enos Cantor to do what Ed Davis does for the same price... Uh, he would be just a so much more valued player in today's league, but he just demands so much more touch and offensive looks. And Ed Davis is just isn't there. 
Exactly. And, and I don't know whether that's, you know, just through sheer lack of effort or just, you know, just through his acumen in general and his defensive intelligence. But um, Ed Davis isn't, you know, an insane like uh, defender, but um, in, in that sort of sense either. But moving on to our final one, Yong at SYC22. What are the power forwards who are the most realistic targets and best fits for the Nets in the coming draft? Rui, PJ, Washington, etc. Nick, I expect you have to do a done plenty of draft research for this one, my friend. I have not, and this is all you, Jack. I have no idea about anything NBA draft until about April. <laughs> so I'm passing all right. to all this you. Oh, I'm me. I did some. I, I did some research, and this is going to help with you know OTG as well. If Dalton needs a, a chop out every now and then, um, but a guy like Jackson Hayes, you know, funnily enough, a guy from Texas like Miles Turner and Jared Allen has been rocketing up the the board uh, of late. He's got some. Uh, he's almost like a and more athletic and more hypey version of of a guy like Jared Allen. Um, he's just seen. He's making every single bloody shot. Um, his offensive rebounding is insane. Um, his defensive rebounding could use a little bit of work. But if is he a four? I'm not 100% sure. Four and five, if he used to play alongside Jared Allen, maybe. But obviously, the defensive versatility is going to be key there. I just wanted to mention him, and he might be just out of the net's reach anyway because I think he'll probably go fringe top 10. But the Nets could land that guy. Uh, in terms of Rui, uh, Rui Hachimura, um, he's been absolutely balling out and might be the third ever national Japanese national to play in the NBA um, going in next year. So he's been, you know, fantastic. He's loved, beloved in Japan. Um, and he is, is balling out against some really great players and playing for a really great system in Gonzaga, 6'8", 230 pounds, some really great size for that four position, can score. Um, he's got a really nice jumper. Um, defensively, not amazing. Um, gives away a, uh, he's, he's not amazing, but he doesn't give away a lot of fouls. Is a good rebounder. He has a very versatile set in, in a lot of ways. Um, he just puts up points and is very consistent. So I think if we were in, in my pick, he would be my perfect sort of guy if we were to get it, um, someone uh, in draft uh, at the upcoming 2019 draft. He would be my pick. I would love International a guy. too. I love it. And I think, you know, uh, Joseph Sai would absolutely salivate at a prospect like him to give you uh, that Asian pop as well. Because I remember um, Watanabe was uh, on the Nets roster. Was he in a 10-day or something? Summer League. Yeah, Summer League. And obviously, he spent some time in, in Memphis uh, as well. You know, I, I, I really liked him as well when we were talking about him. But uh, a fellow teammate of his, I believe, is uh, Brandon Clark. And, and again, I think Rui Hachimura, um, in terms of his projection, top 15-ish. Uh, he could he could go up depending on you know how Gonzaga go, how the March Madness goes, but he sh- he's probably around that 15 range, maybe fringe top 10. Um, but his teammate, Brandon Clark, is just the, the, the perfect balance to, to Rui as well. They're, they're probably both three, four tweeners uh, at the same time. Um, and I think some people sort of compare him to like a PJ Tucker-ish. Um, but I think that he's just, uh, uh, and uh, he is a little bit older as well. So I think age comes into into that sort of sense as well. Um, but he just makes a, a, a lot of buckets and he knows how to create his own shots. So uh, I really like his offensive touch in, in terms of the videos and, and some of the stuff that I've researched. Um, he's got some nice upside. Um, you know, maybe uh, he's probably like a Jordan Bell right now but he has a lot more offensive potential than a guy like Jordan Bell. So in terms of that sort of position, you know, if it's between Jordan Bell and Draymond Green, I think he has a better shooter than Draymond Green, not near the defensive ceiling, but I think, yeah, somewhere around that sort of mark 
is a decent enough comparison. And I wouldn't hate him on the Nets roster. Uh, and referencing PJ Washington, seems the most likely type at uh, 20 to 25, where the Nets are sort of projected to finish now. And even maybe, you know, the Denver Nuggets, wherever they finish as well. Uh, but again, being in the best system, one of the best basketball systems in college college hoops in Kentucky, um, and he has led them. You know, is he going to be a one and done sort of guy? I, I think it seems pretty likely. He's leading, you know, Kentucky and John Calipari's team, you know, to uh, to wins against teams like Tennessee. Um, he's just improving and he's continuing to grow uh, in in all facets of the game. So I think a guy like PJ Washington, in terms of his you know, offensive pop. I think that um, he's got, he's just got, knows how to do a lot of things. He can uh, play make, he, he just plays hard as well. Uh, and he plays consistent, which I think can be said of a lot of, of these sort of guys. You know, he's, he's really, uh, he's really composed with the ball in his hands. So I, I certainly wouldn't hate having a guy like him on our team. And I think he could thrive uh, with some development under our system. And some sort of fringe guys that I will mention, um, uh, Grant Williams, uh, Jalen McDaniels, these sort of guys are, are probably early second round and guys that we could take a flyer on a little bit later. Um, you know, Grant Williams, he's uh, a potential outlier. He's, you know, uh, average around 20 points, eight rounds, four assists, uh, seven to 17 from three, six, seven, you know, sort of forward. Um, he's got well-rounded in terms of his skill and feel and really nice defensive IQ. I think we could do worse than lend a guy like him. Um, I've really liked him. He just, uh, he has some limitations, um, but obviously, you know, any guy in the late first round, you know, you're going to have to take a flyer on and, and you'd be willing to to develop that. And in terms of Jalen McDaniels, uh, he's got a you know slam online feature that a, a lot of guys are really popping over. And uh, he's, uh, he's his twin brother as well in Jaden. I think that those guys are going to push each other. It's going to be interesting to see where he does land. Not necessarily as high on a guy like him. I think he's uh, a, a little bit more slight, um, but he does have, you know, some nice sort of athleticism in that sort of sense as well. And Lucas Amanich has been mentioned before by Nets Daily and some other guys as a guy that has been scouted by the Nets before. Um, so, and I will say, when I was versing my dude in 2K and he was doing the NBA draft and it was 2020, Lucas Samanich was absolutely balling against me. And he would be like, you know, a, a Miritich sort of type, you know, the, the sort of, uh, a B elite sort of type. And uh, I think that, and he's, got some real potential. And I think that, you know, the, we know the Nets love Euro dudes. And I think that uh, he will certainly be on the radar in terms of when the Nets take him. You know, whether it's, you know, is it going to be the Nets second, uh, the, not the Nets second pick, the Knicks second round pick or the Denver second round pick. So those guys are some guys to watch for me. That could certainly change. It is still only bloody February. And the fact that I've spoken for like nine on five, six, whatever, how long about draft prospects, I think it's a pretty good effort. Yeah, you did a great job, Jack. I definitely feel more informed. Jack, you mentioned some of the guys, you know, possibly going top 10 or maybe, you know, top 12. Do you think we could see the Nets trade up in the draft and try to get, you know, that four position or Sean Marks values his picks too much? Yeah, I mean, I would personally, if we have our own pick and then if you traded, you know, traded either our own pick and the Denver pick or our own pick and the, the second round pick um, from, from the Knicks to get, you know, a number 15, or, or a number 10, then I think that that's more valuable. I think it depends on, though, what the scouts believe, what Sean Marks believe is the big major drop-off. Uh, a lot of people are sort of saying it's top five and then done, even top four. Like, Zion's the consensus. Zion's in a league of his own. 
And then it's RJ, it's Cam, it's Ja Morant. And then I mentioned a Jackson Hayes who is skyrocketing. And then there's a heap of other guys who are around the fringes. You know, Bol Bol is still getting love. And I think a lot of guys um, on Net Twitter have salivated over him before. Uh, I would personally just... I just back our guys in in terms of the Nets, in terms of whoever they draft. You know, this will be the highest pick that we've had in a very, very long time. Um, yes, the draft is a little bit weaker, but I value our drafting. I value our scouting. Um, we've talked about Rodions and Janam before on pods in, in pregames. And, you know, Sean Marks has flown out to see these guys play. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, heading into March and April, where Sean Marks and his scouts are, where they're sort of looking. Um, but I've... I'm all in on Rui. I'm a big fan of Rui Hachimura. Um, so for me, if we could get a, a 15 pick for him, um, I think he'd be perfect. And I think he'd he'd provide some some good buzz, for lack of a better term, to the Nets as well. Now for Rui, if I pro- uh, pronounce his name correctly, do you think he projects to be a starter in the future? Or is he more of a bench guy? What's his role? Yeah, I think he's probably a, a number five on like a championship team. Gotcha. Uh, I, think he's, I think he's a starter. Um, but obviously... You don't put ceilings on these guys at, at, at such a young age. Like you, you look at guys like Pascal Siakam, Giannis, Rudy Gobert. Those guys that are taken late in the first round. Rodion's Kuritz. No one could have envisioned these guys being what they are right now. But Rui has you know plenty of skills that were going to translate well into the NBA. And I think he's got the confidence. He's got the mindset that I think will, will really thrive in a Brooklyn outfit. So uh, if I could speak that into existence or, you know, I would just love if somehow the Nets got a top five. The basketball gods finally smiled upon us and we were to get, you know, a Cam Reddish or, you know, a Nasir Little or an RJ Barrett, who Brian Fonseca has absolutely loved as well. So uh, I'm intrigued. I, I, I've grown more in my draft knowledge since last year, doing some stuff for OTG basketball and uh, for the Nets, obviously, and, and the buzz. So it, it's interesting to see just the these preliminary stages. And obviously, March Madness is coming as well. So there could be plenty of uh, other names or guys to solidify themselves uh, in that sort of pecking order. Yeah, for sure. I think March Madness, like we kind of talked about, off wax, uh, you know, is you know a time where guys can really work on their draft stock. But Jack, any other questions you got or anything you want to discuss before we get out of here? Oh man, Nick, I'm I'm exhausted speaking about draft prospects. The the guys like Sam Vecini, Dalton, all that guys that look into it. It's an it's an exhausting exercise just to to keep up with these sort of dudes. And you know, the NBA is tough enough as it is, but let alone the draft. And um and just a shout out to every single person. Um, if we didn't spend enough time on your questions, we are sorry, but we try to be as extensive as possible and we appreciate all the feedback uh, and especially these comments and, the, and to all our listeners. A hundred percent. And these were, like Jack said earlier on, these are really good questions. Definitely, you know, made us think about it a little bit too. And we're going to try to do another one, hopefully before the playoffs come around. And as always, we appreciate any support, listens, questions, whatever it is. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter at OTG Nick, at the J-Man JBT. And as always, find the show iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done.